Father God, just so good to be in your house and to say those words, Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I pray that for each person here, it would be just that. Uh, your desire for us to enjoy the gift of a Savior is for everyone. And Father God, I just ask that we would all know that, and we know it personally. So you've given us this wonderful gift, but you've also sealed it with a promise. So Lord, um, today we just celebrate that. We look forward to the things that you have for us. We look forward to the message. And God, I pray that we all just grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Josh. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, would you open to the Old Testament book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to share with you one more time two verses that we have been looking at since Thanksgiving. Now, I'll be reading out of the New International Version. Typically, I preach and teach out of the English Standard, but I like the way this reads. So I'm going to do this one more time from the New International Version. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Listen close. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. I love the way the editors of the NIV start that out. Come now, let us settle the matter. For the past month, a little over that, we have been working at settling the matter of who Jesus is in your mind and in your heart. If you still have not settled that, well, it is my prayer that today you will. I've been sending out some Christmas devotions for the last month, all of them geared towards this exact same thing, settling the matter of Jesus in our hearts and in our minds. We're going to do it one more time. And so if it remains unsettled for you, I hope what we look at today will take care of that. We uh, started right after Thanksgiving what I referred to as the 28-day challenge. That challenge was pretty simple, to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in 28 days, culminating today. A number of you finished early, some of you will finish late. I wrapped it up yesterday. Um, I know other people are, are breaking it up and doing some different things with it. It has been exciting to see the number of people that have been a part of that. Somewhere well north of 200 folks in this congregation accepted that challenge and have read the four Gospels, centering their hearts, centering their minds on who Jesus is. There is no better place for us to be in our Bibles if we want to learn about Jesus than in the Gospels. Now, the Bible would also tell us of itself that it is a living and active book. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit. The Bible judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our minds. It is living and active, which means very simply, no matter how many times we pick it up, we will learn something. No matter how much time we spend in our Bibles, there is always something else for us. These last 28 days have proven that to me, just as it has been proven to many of you. One of the things that struck me as I made my way through the four Gospels, and I mean it struck me like a, a hammer, it really did, was that Jesus healed people on purpose. Jesus healed people on purpose. Now, that's not a great revelation to some of you, and it isn't a great revelation to me, but it was a great reminder as I spent time in those four books 
Jesus healed people on purpose. He actually would make this statement in the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to turn there with me, when he was talking to the disciples of John the Baptist. It is a proof that he healed people on purpose. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See what I mean? Jesus healed people on purpose. Now there were multiple layers to his purpose. And as you go through the Gospels, you'll see each layer individually as it rises off the page if you're looking for it. Think of the ten lepers that were healed. Ten lepers that were healed, only one came back to say thank you. That miracle was performed as a reminder to us that we always want to be counted with the one. When the Lord has done something for us, we want to return. There is a great teachable lesson that we can lift out of that healing. Jesus heals on purpose. There was another man who was born deaf and and as a result of that he was unable to speak. Jesus healed that man so that he could hear the gospel and in turn speak the gospel and impact other people's lives. The Bible would tell us in that account that other people did the exact same thing. They heard the gospel and they spoke the gospel because of the miracle that happened in that man's life. Jesus healed people on purpose. He healed a man with a crippled arm Gave him the use of that arm again, but he did it in a most unique way. Actually, he did it in a most unique timing. He did that on the Sabbath. When he did it on the Sabbath, he came under fire from the religious leaders. But remember, Jesus healed people on purpose. And his purpose for doing that was to show us a better way. To break away from some man-made rules and regulations and understand what it means to love God and love others. Jesus healed people on purpose. When he did that on the Sabbath, and he didn't wait till Monday, he did it on the Sabbath. He did that on the Sabbath so that he could show us a better way because Jesus healed people on purpose. But as I go through the Gospels, one of the things that struck me the most was Jesus' affinity for healing the blind. By some accounts, he did it eight times. Others would say he only did it seven times. Matthew, however, would tell us in his listing of miracles that Jesus did that there were at least two other times that people brought people to him that were blind. They sought healing for them and Jesus obliged them. So the truth of the matter is we don't really know how many times Jesus healed the blind. We just know that he liked to do it. And we can ask this question, now why did Jesus like to heal blindness so much? Why are there so many accounts of him coming in contact with people that could not see? Maybe it was because they needed to have their eyes opened. Maybe it was as simple as that. But maybe, just maybe, there was a deeper spiritual reason for Jesus' love of healing the blind. I like to think it's the latter. 
I think there is a deeper spiritual reason for it. A website titled Science IQ might actually have the answer for us. We don't find this in the Bible. This comes right off the internet, right out of Science IQ, but take a look at what they say. Your eyes sense light. Maybe that's why Jesus liked to heal blind people, because our eyes sense light. Now listen to this from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Maybe that's why Jesus loved to heal blind people, because our eyes sense light, and he is the light of the world, and he brings the light of life to all mankind. Maybe, just maybe, that's why he loved that miracle so much. As you dig into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even as you get into the book of Acts and you see other places where the apostles were performing miracles, you will not find anyone else healing people from blindness. Now, you may very well want to sit down and argue with me and say in Acts chapter 9, Ananias healed Paul from his blindness, but my argument would be this, and we can, we can sit down and hash it out if you want to. Ananias was simply the hands of Jesus. Jesus told him to do what he did. Jesus healed Paul of his blindness. Jesus is the only person in the Bible that heals people of blindness. That's reserved for him. I like that. I like that. Because our eyes sense light. And he is the light of the world. And if we will allow him to illuminate everything around us, we will find the light of life. I want to show you a man that experienced that. This morning, I want to introduce him to you, some of you for the very first time, and some of the rest of you, it'll be like sitting down with an old friend, but I want you to see him again, and in the process, I want you to see what happened in his life. Join me in John chapter 9, will you? From an apologetic standpoint, which is simply the defense of our faith, I love this chapter because there is a very tangible pursuit of a relationship with Jesus that is recorded here. That's why I like it so much. This is John chapter 9, Gospel of John, starting in verse 1. Listen close. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. What a passage of scripture. My goodness. Now, before we get very far into it, we need to address the question of the apostles. It hangs out there kind of like a giant matzo ball. We, we have to deal with this. So let's do that. We'll start again, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now that's a, it's a legitimate question for the culture that they lived in. But it is a popular question, even in the world that we live in today. It may just sound a little bit different. What they were really trying to do was get around asking what was really on their minds. We do the same thing. We just reword the question to make it a little more palatable for ourselves. They ask it this way, who sinned, this man or his parents? But what they really wanted to know is, why was this man born blind and this man not? Why is this man born blind and I wasn't? Why was this man born blind and there are so many other people around him that can see? Sound like a familiar question? There's other wording of that exact same question that maybe you have kicked around. Here's some examples for you up on the screen. Why was I born into a broken family and others weren't? 
Why was I born with health problems and others were healthy? Why was I born with learning disabilities and other people don't have them? Why was I born with, and then you can fill in the blank. We ask this question a lot of different times and in a lot of different ways. It is a familiar question. But the way the disciples worded it was their attempt to sidestep asking something so direct. So they worded it the way they did. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Now Jesus' response is really interesting. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. This is coming out of the English Standard Version of the Bible, the one that I just read. It is edited a little bit, meaning I took out a portion of it because we didn't need it for context this morning. So that's all I did in the editing of this. I just took out a portion of it for the sake of time. But take a look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now it is interesting, as a result of this response and the way it is worded or edited by the people that edited the English Standard Version and basically every other translation of the Bible, it would appear that this man was born blind, this is Jesus' answer, he was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you see that? That appears to be the answer. But my friends, let me remind you, in the original language, there was no punctuation. In the original language, there were no periods or commas. Those are placed there by our editors. If somebody was editing this into another language, punctuation would be different. As we have edited it into English, we place the punctuation there, so it is up to the editors to do this. Now, I do have to put this caveat out there and tell you that when you are studying Scripture, study punctuation. When I was in Bible college, we had to memorize long runs of Scripture, including the punctuation. If you put a period in the wrong place, you put a comma in the wrong place, you put a semicolon instead of a colon, you were marked down on that. Because our professors, and I had one in particular that I'm not sure even loves Jesus, named Dr. Don Leach, that would hold us so tight to that that almost nobody could pass his class. Because punctuation really does matter. It determines meaning. But if we change the punctuation, and we are free to do this because the original language does not include punctuation, if we were to change the punctuation, we can change the entire meaning of this passage. Take a look. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, period, instead of a comma, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you see the difference? A period to a comma changes all of it. Changes all of it. He wasn't born blind, if we follow this particular rendition of it. He wasn't born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Just happened. Life happens. Did that happen around God? No. Did God not know that that was going to happen? Certainly God knew that was going to happen. God knew he would be born blind. But now that Jesus was standing in front of him, there was opportunity for the works of God to be displayed, a miracle to be displayed. And there was. And there was. This man 
was about to experience the light of the world. His eyes were about to be opened, and not just his physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes. And he was about to really see, not just the things around him, but to see God. And his pursuit is so intriguing. This is the apologetic side of it as his eyes were opened. Until about 10 years ago, no one was able to restore sight to people that had lost it. And even today, the science of restoring sight, particularly to those that are born blind, is very sketchy. At best, it is very sketchy. There has been a little bit of success in the nation of India, as far as I can tell. That is one of the, the main testing areas in dealing with blindness. So it is a, it's a very, very new science. It is a very new procedure, and they are still struggling to get it right. But one of the things that they have determined in India, as they have reestablished or actually established sight for the first time for people, is it takes about eight days for all of their senses to calibrate together. So here's how they would study that. They would give someone born blind shapes, textures to hold in their hands before they would go through the procedure. They would do everything that they could to have them identify the object that they were holding in their hands. And they would do that with four or five different objects. And then once their eyes are opened, they would have them look at those objects and then identify each one of them, now utilizing their eyes instead of touch, to see how long it would take. In every case where they have tried this, it has taken roughly eight days to get their other senses to line up with their eyes. It takes a little while, a little while, for everything to calibrate when your eyes are opened. This man, in John chapter 9, illustrates that perfectly. It took a little while for him to calibrate into who actually performed this miracle for him. Did you see the process? The first time that he was questioned, he responded to the Pharisees, he is a prophet. That's a pretty good response for a guy living during those days. This man must be a prophet. They pushed him a, a little bit harder and he finally responded, he is a man of God. Until they finally pushed him the hardest and he said, he is the son of God. And it wasn't actually them that pushed, it was Jesus who presented. So he moved from him being a prophet to him being the son of God as all of his senses and all of his understanding came into line one with the other. And he knew it was Jesus. It was Jesus, the Son of God, that had done this for him. He went through the calibration process to get to a place where everything would be settled in his mind and in his heart. And he could, he could acknowledge Jesus for who he was. There is a process, a natural process that happens for so many people much like that. And we don't have to be ashamed of the process if you have been in that process, in that journey, trying to settle the matter of Jesus for yourself, there's no shame in the fact that it hasn't happened yet. All I can say is don't wait too long. Make sure you get it settled, that you know who Jesus is. Get everything calibrated so that it is lined up for you. So I look around this room, I know there's a lot of stories just like this one from John chapter 9. It may not be 
physical blindness that Jesus healed you from, but it's spiritual blindness and it took you a while to get there. But you're there. And what a great testimony that you are there, able to say, He is the Son of God and He is my Savior. He is my Savior. That's what the Lord has done for us. And we get to see what happened in this man's life and we get to see the journey that he went through. But we also get the privilege of taking a close look at the Pharisees, the ones that were pushing him, the religious leaders, and we see a completely different reaction from them. They were struggling to settle it in their minds and they never got there. They didn't get to a place where they could say, Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah that we have been waiting for, the Savior of the world, if you will. And I would offer to you that the reason they didn't is because they asked the wrong question. Four times in this passage, four times, they ask a question that started with how. This word up on the screen right here. How? How did this happen? How did he do this? And he would respond, he put mud on my eyes and told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed. There's the answer. And they would push again, tell us how he did this. I love the the blind man who can now see. I love his response. I already told you. If you're looking for more details, they ain't coming. I already told you. He spit on the ground. He made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So you know what I did? I went to Siloam, I washed, and now I can see. That's it. I got nothing else. You can continue to interrogate me. You can ask this question any way you want. There is not another answer coming. Those are the details. But it wasn't enough. So they kept asking two more times. How did this happen? When they didn't get the answer they wanted, they went to his parents. (laughs) I think that's funny. So they went to his parents and his parents said, go ask him. He's of age. We weren't there, and of course they were a little bit worried about being excommunicated, so they were, they were hedging their own bets. But they said, go ask him. They were asking the wrong question. And a lot of times we do the same thing. When it comes to trying to settle the matter of Jesus in our minds, we ask this question. How will God do that? How will God save me from my sins? How will God grant to me eternal life? How will God bring me into heaven? How, 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 how? My friends, the question that we need to be asking is much simpler than that. And all we have to do, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, so those of you that were with us, this will sound very familiar. All we have to do is rearrange the letters of this question to get to the right one so that we ask who. That's all we have to do. That's the primary question. Who is this man? Who is this man? And if we are willing to ask it just like that, who is this man? And we use that as a springboard, which you see that all through the Gospels. People start with a question just like this. If we will use that as a springboard to find the answers that we are seeking, we will get there. Who is this man? That's all we have to do. Start searching from that point and you will get to where you need to be. I promise you that. I promise you that. This question penetrates to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. Light from dark. Heaven from hell. Who is this man? If you are unsettled on the issue of Jesus, then you ask this question. 
But as I have been studying scripture and have been in John chapter 9, I am absolutely convinced that for many people, there's a step before this even. It's a step that gets the wheels turning in our heads, gets us thinking about some different things. In verse 25, we see it. Take a look. John chapter 9, verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. There's another question that can help us settle the matter of Jesus if we will honestly ask it. What has he done for us? What has he done for us? Now some of you will be ready to say nothing. He's done nothing for me. And maybe you would look kind of like the disciples did and ask questions like this. Why was this man or why were some people born into a a family where God was glorified and Jesus was the center of everything and I wasn't? Why have I had to struggle so much? Why have I had to overcome the things that I've had to overcome? Why has this happened? Why has that happened? And you'll look at those questions and they will keep you from recognizing that the Lord has done anything for you. But listen. He has. He has. And if you're willing to start there, if you're willing to honestly answer that question and see the answers, then you'll understand what the Lord has done for you. Let me show you six things that every believer in Jesus can put forward in answer to the question. And it sounds like this. I know that once I was blind, or once I was blind, but now I see. Jesus has delivered every believer from spiritual blindness and brought us into the light. And here's six things that illustrate it. I was a sinner separated from God. My sin meant that what I deserved more than anything was death. Then I met Jesus and he spoke of forgiveness for my sins and eternal life. I repented of my sin, sought a deeper relationship with the Lord through baptism, and I've never been the same again. In answer to the question, what has the Lord done for me? Those six things are true for every believer in Jesus Christ. Those six things, they ring true. If you don't have anything else, you have these ringing true in your life. And I don't want you to say, well, that's what Phil says. I want you to know that I took all six of those things right out of Scripture. Here's the passages that back that up, every one of them. I encourage you to take a picture of that if you need to so that you can look them up. Number three, I'll call out to your attention, it is Christmas Sunday, so I want to pull this right out of the Christmas story. This is, this is found in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 76. And you, child, this is Zechariah's prophecy over his son, John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah would actually say to his son John, you'll preach about what Jesus is going to do. He's going to bring forgiveness. He's going to deal with people's sins. He's going to do that for us. Today, on Christmas Sunday, we get to remember that. We get to recognize that and celebrate that. 
And that sits right in the center of the six things that we were just talking about. For everyone that has settled the matter of Jesus in their life, that truth remains. Jesus dealt with our sin. He did it by coming to this earth. He did it by dying on the cross. He did it by coming out of the grave. If we have to have the how questions and we're seeking the answers, those are the ones that matter. How did he do it? By coming to this earth, by dying on the cross, and by coming out of the grave so that we can do the same. The Pharisees had asked that question. They'd have gotten there. If they'd looked at this man's answer in verse 25 and really listened to it, they would have gotten there. Here's what I know. Though I was blind, now I can see. Now I can see because of Jesus. I want to leave you today with just two questions. Christmas questions, if you will. One's for you to think about not only today but throughout the course of the week. And if the matter of Jesus remains unsettled in your heart, you come back to John chapter 9 over and over and over again in your pursuit of the truth, of knowing who he really is. And you ask these two questions until you get them settled. Here they are. What has Jesus done for you? Already answered that question. Who do you believe he is? Who do you believe he is? And when you can answer that, you've got it. You've got it. He is the Son of God. The man in John 9 would look right at Jesus. Pay attention. Look right at Jesus and say, tell me who the Son of Man is so that I can believe. And when Jesus revealed himself as such, he did. He did. And as Jesus reveals himself to you as the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, then you can say the same, now I believe, now I believe. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for giving us days like today that help us settle the matter. They remind us of your goodness. They remind us of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And they show us that we can move into a new life powered by your spirit where we're reminded through other words like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, what it means to walk with you. Thank you for those gifts, Lord. I pray today we'll unwrap each one of them and take them with us. Because though at one time we were spiritually blind, Our eyes have been opened and we see you for who you are. And those things are all right in front of us. Lord, help us hold them tight as we hold you tight. But this morning, I want to pray for those that have yet to settle the matter unto salvation. Would you let that happen today? And I pray, Father, for those that have yet to settle the matter unto transformation. Would you let that begin today? Would you open all of our eyes that we might see? And for those that are still struggling to calibrate their spirit with their eyes, I pray it'll happen. And I pray it'll happen soon. Father, we love you. We're grateful for all that today means. Thank you for granting us the privilege to be here to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.